Put your hands together for calling all beans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Money, Nathan. Wow, he's I like on this. On the mic. I love the smooth intro. This is new. I like this. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you what. Uh, welcome back to Calling All Beings. I'm your host, DJ. And yes, after going <laughs> after a high-profile guest today, I think his assistant um took a look at oh mike mike doesn't sound good jules let me check that oh or maybe that's mike is in michael Seems so good. yeah which i would say the same thing uh no my mic i got the right mic on there so you guys let me know if there's any issues uh so yeah the whole pro uh, high profile uh guest assistant i think listened to the show probably heard me yell and was like uh he's booked for the rest of the year <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you guys about that one later. Who yeah. it was? Because Nathan can be like, I don't want him on anyway. That's right. Get anyway. him out of here. Get him out of here. <laughs> Welcome back to Calling All Beings. That voice you hear is the executive producer, the co-creator, the technical director, and my brother, Money Nathan. <laughs> what is going on, everybody? Happy Wednesday evening. It's a beautiful night here. Absolutely gorgeous outside. A little cool, not too cool for the time of the year, but. Uh, doesn't matter really what's happening out there. I'm excited about what's happening right here. Very thrilled to have this guy back with us. It's going to be a good show. Can I get an amen? Yes. <laughs> amen. <laughs> and right there, the voice you just heard is a woman. I'll tell you what. All I can say about her in this community is she's the legend. The legend, the researcher, the head of research, and our paragon of virtue, and our sister from another mister. That is a study of UAPs, Debs, who's soon to be called author. Hello, everybody. I wanted to say I'm excited for us to have a discussion about everywhere and every when. Mm, yes. I'm telling you, man. Uh, so mix in the chat. Julie, help. welcome back, uh, Jules. Vinny Adams in the joint, along with his homegirl, Carolina from Carolina. So uh, the uh, ancestor of uh, Francisco Pizarro, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, anyway, um, all right, so let's introduce uh, the guest of honor. This gentleman right here is a professor of anthropology at Montana Technological University. He is a second time guest here on CAB. He's written several books, he's brilliant. He is a favorite. Everybody I talked to is just like, I love Mike Masters, including Dr. Pasolka. Everybody loves this man, and uh, if you haven't heard him, you're gonna figure out uh, why. Real quick, some party people, put those hands together for Dr. Michael Master. Can I get a hello, everyone? Hello, hello, hello. One there, out here. Welcome, Dr. Masters. Thank you so much for uh, joining us again. It is an honor, truly. Uh, how well. Have you been? The honor is all mine. Uh, good. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I was apologizing for the delay. We're actually only five minutes out. That's not bad. Good, man. Um, yeah, but no, good, good. 
We uh, finally got some snow here in southwest Montana. It's been completely bare and until now. So fortunately, I'm nursing an MCL injury, but hoping to get over that and get on the slopes here in the next week or so. Well, the MCL, that shouldn't interrupt our foosball match, though, right? No, no, we're good. We're, I'm still planning on kicking your ass in the like, That's, uh, that's want, not an issue. I want although, to get his trashed. <laughs> although, I will point out that the 18 inches of snow we got is currently sitting on the foosball table. Hmm. Um, I had to move it out to get a fireplace put in back there uh, for Nathan, the end we, times. The snowblower. Yeah, but no, we can shovel it off. I, I've got a waterproof tarp on it, but okay. we'll be standing about probably 40 inches above it in the snow could be kind of an advantage actually could be i gotta tell you though dr masters uh you know i i love i'm i love a a lot of different sports including uh soccer which is obviously you know what foosball is modeled after but right now six nations on it's actually going on live now and then last year's tournament is on netflix this rugby six nations things and if you haven't seen it or anybody in the audience hasn't seen it it's awesome what do yeah, you think? I've, I've watched it I, in the past. I haven't been watching this one, but I've I've tuned in a few times. When I was doing a dig at a Neanderthal site in southern France, like half the people I worked with were huge rugby players and fans. And that tournament was going on back then. So we, we would all schlep across this big, uh, uh, what, what do they call it? Winery, like a vineyard, I guess. Vineyard, yeah. Mm-hmm. Into the local town and, and get some beers and watch some some rugby so i do enjoy it but it's been a while since i've partaken wow yeah i've never seen it this is all new to me and i'm thinking i'm kind of thinking should i play football or rugby i'm kind of thinking rugby right now but anyway uh let's let's get to the lecture at hand because these people didn't uh come here to hear me yak about this business so um mike uh i'm curious what was it like the moment that your hypothesis that you've had and you've written about went from theoretical to you know proven to be real to you which was that moment you know your moment of contact if you will that don't sue me james please but anyway (laughs) but but seriously uh all kidding aside what was it like that you're like I've, i've had this hypothesis i've written about this and now it's real well i'm still waiting on that moment to be honest um i i'm not there yet I, no? I do feel like it's worthy of our consideration, but um, I, I, I feel strongly that it explains part of the phenomenon, but I don't know what part or what percentage of the spectrum, because it's a wide spectrum. As your listeners know, there's a lot of different things going on. So, um, no, I think it would take something really definitive for me to be like, oh, cool. All right. That, that's um that's validating i guess but i'm i I don't feel like we're anywhere close to that right now to be honest from a standpoint of they approached you and knew things that you know it you you had been washing your dishes and had these thoughts and i don't know if you espoused them to your wife or not that no i didn't tell anybody that's kind of how they broke me down is they knew something i hadn't said out loud at all but but you know to be honest i don't even i don't consider that to be validating because they alluded to being future humans. They either put a thought in my head when, when I asked them how they knew about that thought that I didn't outwardly vocalize, not that it matters as I found out. Um, 
they either put in my head future humans as a question of my voice, or I said that telepathically. But again, it's the first time I've ever said anything telepathically or even thought I should try this. It wasn't even that I tried. It just came out through my my forehead, uh, future humans as a question. And then they moved on and said, well, now you know how we know that thought. Uh, in parentheses. So so I, I talked about this a little bit in a New York City conference that uh, Jay and James and Leslie put on last month, two months ago, because they, it, they sort of left it open. They didn't definitively say, yes, we're future humans. They knew the future. They put three things in my brain that are supposedly going to come out in the future, but they never definitively said that. So without that, I don't feel comfortable saying Yes, these were future humans, and this theory is is validated. That's awesome. That's a a very fair answer, and it just shows how scientific you are, even about your own experiences. You're able to not, you know, be biased by your own experiences, which is great. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 something to be critical of, I, and I think because it's so far removed, all all experiencers' experiences are so far removed from conventional reality that I think the default state should just be stepping back and like, wait, let's look at this in the context of other things. And um, so, yeah, I, I started breaking down the nuances of that interaction, and I, I I feel it's more important for me to say what happened and not bias it with my own interpretation because I have developed some ideas about what might have been going on, who exactly I was communicating with in those moments. But I feel it's more important at this point just to sort of take it for what it was, combine it with everything else from other pieces of, you know, little nuggets they throw out, the literature, people's experiences, and then just kind of put it into a big experiencer stew and and add a little salt and just sip on it slowly. <laughs> We want to keep it low sodium, but anyway, let me pass it on to Money Nathan. <laughs> yeah, I love that. So Darren and I talk about uh, some, some of the experiences that he has had, and I know you and Darren have had some conversations. Um, yeah, well. he was the first person I reached out to when I was losing my goddamn mind over <laughs> what reality is all of a sudden. Because, I, he, yeah, he was really therapeutic for me because I happened to come across a, a podcast episode he did previously that explained his experiences. I was like, Oh my God, this is so similar. I got to reach out to this guy. And, and we kind of already knew each other, but yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, 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 it's great. And it, anyway, we were, t- we were talking about uh, the way that he, he's trying to explain to me the way that he kind of compiles information and it's, it's not linear per se. It's sort of, um, he gets things that happen to him in his life and they don't, some of them don't make sense in the time. But then later on, they become sort of recontextualized. And it's almost like a, I think of it almost like an origami, like it kind of unfolds. And then there's, mm. there's a whole, a, more, a whole picture emerges. So is that something that you, you kind of, you're, you're sensing with this? Is it, is it piecing together parts of your past experience that, and kind of recontextualizing that, making it clearer for you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd had precognition my entire life, and I, I was just having a conversation with a, a mutual friend of, um, of of Darren's and probably yours too, and lots of other people, um, longtime experiencer. And we started talking about various things that have happened, and I start looking back through my own past, thinking that most of this weirdness that I've been forced to reconceptualize my worldview and sense of reality occurred in after October 14th, 2022. But it turns out, yeah, there's this long series of events. I, I mentioned briefly 
when I was talking to Jesse Michaels a few months ago that, you know, the, a voice in my head that I just assumed was sort of your internal dialogue and, and sort of trying to identify decisions that you make, having a conversation out loud in your head, like, well, what should I do here? What do I do here? Um, but enough of those started to uh, come back into my my conscious mind. And, and then I started to look at other things where I was like, oh, that was weird. But, you know, whatever, kind of passed it off. I have a, a stick in my underwear drawer for, resulting from one of these things because I had to take a physical thing back with me from what, as 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 it turned out, was a very overt sort of interaction, but predated these types of overt interactions by seven or eight years. But I, I felt strongly enough about it that I was like, okay, the stick is the symbol that connects these things. And, and it's very clear now what that was and what a lot of other events were too, because what happened in, in Phoenix that night, there's been seven or eight other interactions since with varying levels of obscurity and high strangeness, um, but clearly the same sorts of interactions where it was almost like, that that had to happen with other people who both witnessed it and who were involved in it for me to believe it so that I could start paying attention to those things in, in more concrete terms. Yeah, that's really fascinating. And I was actually going to ask you, since that experience, has it continued to build or ramp up? And it sounds like it has. Anything that's jumping out for you, you know, about recent experiences? Yeah, I mean, it's been, um, like I said, a sliding scale of strangeness. But what, one in particular um, that took place, that, <laughs> that, yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't know where to start. A lot of times it's pretty just, you know, okay, we, it's a conversation. It's very conversational, which is strange to say this. And I probably sound like a schizophrenic, uh, but I'm not. Um, so one night uh, I was laying in bed. And I woke up around um, about two o'clock and I got the sense that there was something above my house. I, I think this is the first time I've, I've, I've said this publicly. There's something above my house. I just, I felt it. I felt a presence. And the thing that they did telepathically with this communication, the sort of energy exchange that took place on that balcony in Phoenix, it was the same thing. I woke up like, oh, wow, this this is familiar. I remember this, but it was slower. Like it, it in Phoenix, it was like this just mind fuck of light and like fiber optic cables being shoved into your eyeballs. And it was just really intense. But it was that same sort of situation, just slower and a little more like flowy, light, beautiful thing. And I woke up maybe for 30 seconds like, oh, that's crazy. Went, laid back down, went to sleep instantly. And I never do that. I'm always up. I have anxiety and thinking about all the worst things that could happen in the world. Go to sleep instantly. Same thing. Straight back into it. Do that for about another half hour. Wake up. Oh, this goes on just like that. That same pattern for about a five hour period. And I woke up the next day and I'm, you know, remembering this. Like told my wife, like, yeah, this thing happened. My kid's like, oh, yeah, there was a UFO over our house last night. He's dead. What? I don't know if he's, yeah, I don't know if he's being oh, serious or not, but he claims to have seen like the shadow move. Uh, and we wow. live in a very dark place. And I, I don't, and, he, and he's, <laughs> we've been talking about this around him since he was a baby. So who knows how much of that he's just parodying or I don't, mm -hmm. take it for what it's worth. Mm -hmm. I don't put much faith in it. He's a smart, empathetic kid. So, so maybe, and it wouldn't really shock him if there was at this point. Um, 
but I was telling my wife this, you know, and, and she pointed out that it it was easier for me, and it was. I didn't have, I didn't really think about that, but in in Phoenix, because it was such a short interaction with this just force feeding information telepathically, like I was, it messed me up. You know, it messed me up big time. I I slept for fourteen hours. I woke up crying for you know until wow. they took that away the next morning. None of that. Just woke up like. Nothing had even happened, but I I knew it was the same thing. It was just they did it through my subconscious as opposed to through my conscious, which was a way easier way of accepting that information. Wow, that's incredible. Well, thanks for sharing that with us. Um, I know Deb's probably got some follow-up, so I'm going to pass it to her. <laughs> yeah, of course I do. I have so many things I could say. But <laughs> but before I do, um, since we are talking about some of your experiences, you kind of dropped... <laughs> that something happened when you were nine and then didn't really expound upon that when you were um, recently being interviewed on Fade to Black. So I was wondering if you're willing to talk about that. Oh, yeah. And the reason I didn't go into detail about that with Jimmy is because it's in the first two books I wrote where I just talk about looking up and seeing Whitley Strieber's book Communion on the living room shelf. And then and it's, it's actually I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because it kind of um, dovetails with with what Nathan said is that reconceptualizing these experiences. I saw that the, what well what happened briefly is that there was kind of this flash of light, and I I imagined I think in pictures already, but I sort of saw a different way in pictures an early hominid modern human, and then this quintessential gray alien form on the cover of Whitley's book, and then the idea as well. Like this idea, could they be future humans? And as I always point out, obviously that lays the table for confirmation bias and selection bias. But, you know, I went through the scientific process to, to be sure that I, I wouldn't be affected by those things. Um, but but I, I initially thought of that as a precognition thing, because I have had moments of conscious precognition about four or five times since one just before uh, that event that took place in Phoenix. So, so I'd always thought of it that way, but then after experiencing some of these things more recently, I look back on that and I'm like, well, was that just like this initial bridge that was built, this initial kind of connection point between this, this sort of non-local consciousness and this physical body that I've inhabited uh, throughout my life. And, and I don't know, I, I, I can't figure that out. Um, someone just the other day on Twitter, posted something about, you know, are these psi experiences um, like us, us connecting or is it us manifesting where has free will involved? I don't remember exactly what they said. I can't even remember movie quotes from my favorite movies for God's sakes. But um, like I've asked myself that question a lot. Like how much of it is, is this sort of ethereal, all encompassing non-dual consciousness permeating this physical reality or how much of it is us communicating with ourselves through time uh you know like remote viewing and all of these things where do, where how do we integrate all of these is is there even a common thing that unites them i i don't know um so yeah that's one of the things i've i've sort of reconceptualized since like what was that moment why at, at that age that age makes sense and i've heard this over and over from people that it's age eight it's age nine it's right around there and interestingly that's someone in the catholic church says that you have volition and that's when you can start to you know go through the the process of learning the religion because you're old enough 
as determined by them. And interestingly, whatever this um, this source or non-local consciousness might be, that's the age that they start picking people out too, apparently, because I've heard that time and time again since 2018 when I first started talking about this. Man, I'm developing more more questions as we go, and the, the people in the chat are also uh, coming up with great questions, so we're going to have to try to squeeze them in here and then get back to cabbie questions. But uh, first of all, I want to ask you, uh, there's been a lot of experiencers, some quite you know, most notably Terry Lovelace, you know, that have reported these insectoid type figures. You've spoken about them. Anjali reported meeting an insectoid type of figure as well. Um, I'm curious if that's caused a change in your behavior whereby, like, for example, you won't call the exterminator uh, to take care of and, and kill insects in your home. Yeah, uh, it has very much so. I um, There's a funny story, actually, about that because I used to have spider oh. night nightmares all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, there's actually a published book that tells this story somewhere. I wish I could remember who it was, but an author. Arachnophobia, sorry. <laughs> it, it was actually, yes. I, I was a, a co-screenwriter for that movie. <laughs> I was seven, but I was very precocious. So um, no, I, I don't know who it was. I wish I could remember. I, I've even tried searching my Gmail account to find any keyword that might tell me who it was. But so I used to have these conscious nightmares, I would wake up and my brain would see either giant spiders or hordes of little spiders on my pillow, on the wall. I mean, you can ask any ex-girlfriend about this and, and my wife too, because I've, I've had this my entire life, really. So I wake up and I start running around and I'm swatting at the wall and I'm lifting up the bed and throwing it aside and trying to find this giant crazy spider. And then slowly like my conscious takes over, my subconscious subsides, and I'm like, oh, okay, go back to bed. Um, but then after all this shit started happening, it, it does, you know, it's 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 kind of cliche. It's like uh like Ryan Gosling and that 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 sketch with Kate McKinnon on Saturday Night Live where it's all like love and light, you know, like I stopped hunting, um, I I, I can't kill things anymore. Like, I, that's how we got meat for the last 12 years. I would go out and I'd shoot an elk or two deer every year. Um, I can't do that anymore. It, it felt like cheating. And, and yeah, spiders. I, I let out spiders. Now, not in the wintertime because they just lay there in the snow and die. And it's really sad and probably mean in some way. Um, so I just let them live in the house in the winter, set them free in the summer. I, I've just become a raging hippie, I guess, as as a result of all of these things. But um, what's interesting is the spider dream stopped. I haven't had one in probably three years. It's wow. Gone. Wow. I This is really interesting because I was asking you this question as a funny, and it I didn't know that it actually would have been resonant with you. I, I'm kind of the same way. Nathan can tell you about the bugs. I've <laughs> sent him photos when I've saved in different sorts of insects that are on my car and this ant who was at my desk for weeks hanging out with me mm -hmm. while I was working. love ants. So, ants are yeah, such I mean, amazing creatures. So cool. Big fan. Um, so um, I'm going to ask one more uh, question because that one was actually meant to just to be funny, but uh, I Sorry. Just, <laughs> no, that was great. Thank I, you. I'm trying Thank to keep you. them short too. Cause there's three of you and one of me. Um, <laughs> You're but I did want to tell that story cause it, it's kind of been a crazy thing that's happened to me. 
is very enlightening for for us because uh, I think a lot of us have experienced something similar. I have, have I'm sure. The, the cabbies have as well. Um, I want to ask you this real quick, though. This is a simple one, but tell me what it's like when you go to an event and you do meet up with some of your fellow PhDs who are sharing in this interest. Obviously, you met Diana. I, I suppose you've met Dr. Kripal. Um, I'm sure you've met several PhDs. You may have met Dr. Nolan as well. What is it like? Uh, you hadn't met him, but, but even just yeah. for the other two, what is it like when you when you meet these folks in person what's that connection like uh it's pretty cool you have the sense that we're we're all in this together um there's not a huge community of of phds working on this and even though there has been for a long time and it's important to recognize all the people that had both in the invisible college and in the visible college because it's kind of what it's becoming is more of a visible college where um we just that I think what happened is we got to a point where the call to action has usurped the worry that we'll be affected as individuals or ego might be hurt or will suffer in some way Tenure. with regard to. Yeah. And, and if you look at the people that are doing this, it's those that have gotten to the point where we don't have to care about that anymore. And I meticulously did that. I made sure I was writing my book. I first started writing my first book in 2012. I was still three years out from tenure. I was still five years out from reaching full professor status, but I was I was publishing and very active in um, the publisher parish community. So I, I saw a path to that and knew I would eventually reach that because I was collaborating across a lot of different fields with a lot of different people. Um, but but I think even outside of people who do have those protections, there's a group of people who are coming up like, wait, that first part where it's more important than ego and your reputation and your status at an institution kind of trumps that too. Um, so I, I think, I think there's just more, and, and, and on, honestly that, that, coalesces with or correlates with the stigma being reduced and people like David Grush coming out and obviously the New York Times article in 2017. So there's a lot of things happening. They're kind of moving in concert with each other. Um, but but when we get together, it's just, um, yeah, I, I feel like it's, it's mostly just a, a communal experience. Um, we're all coming from different places with the exception of a few, like my friend Hussein Ali Agrama, he was probably one of the first academics I met in this space. He's a, a anthropology professor at the University of Chicago, but he's also doing culture anthropology research and religion and uh, ethnic studies, whereas I'm more on the biological side. So even though we're in the same field, there's a lot of variation in the different subfields of anthropology. So we're in the same place, but we're not. But we still very early on I felt that connection with him and he's, he's an incredible bastion of, of this question among academics and brings us together in so many different ways. And I commend him for that. Um, but yeah, I, th I think it's just um, a, a kind of camaraderie, I guess, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Well, I hope someday we can get you all at a big conference table and just sitting around having a, just an open conversation. And we just, you know, let, roll the cameras yeah. and turn the mics on. And I think that would just, the community would just love it. So Yeah, that would be great. 
Yeah. Um, Nathan, what do you think? Should we read? Do you want to read some of the questions now? Sure. We can start with uh, Mick. Uh, whatever. Yeah, let's see. So uh, our uh, fan here, Mickulus, Mick, he's asking, uh, can can you expand on the non-causality of future humans interacting back in time and there being no pollution of the timeline? He's, I guess, wants you to expound a little bit on the block uh, universe theory. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and, and actually I could send an article if you want, I've kind of used it as my default for the last couple of years that explains it really well. I, I also cited it in my second book, the extra tempestual model. Cause I think it's one of the clearest it was written by a philosopher, but I feel like they know time better than physicists because physicists are still trying to understand it as fundamental when they also admit that it's emergent. So there's a, a circle to be squared there. Um, but in the block universe model, which is the most conventionally understood way of thinking about time and space, time space is one thing. In it, all moments from beginning to end, everything that exists in space, time, in this universe, in the cycle potentially through the universe, because it's possible that everything at the end of it might just get funneled back to the beginning and becomes the Big Bang, uh, thus not violating the um, law of conservation of mass and energy. But in that block universe, all those moments already exist. They're all there. So if you're jumping around from this place or that place in space-time, another way of thinking of is this time from this time to this time, and a lot of people flatten it to a, a, a sheet, a flat sheet. They call it landscape time. That's one of the names for block time because it's easier to take out one of the dimensions of space and just imagine yourself jumping around on that into different times. They're all connected. They're all there. They all exist as one entity. And so when you go back into the past, you're not changing anything. You're just doing what you would have always done and had always done in that moment. And because that predates you leaving to go do it, any changes you think of it has already manifested itself by the time you go back to do it. You're just connecting those things. You can almost think of it like the past waiting for you with open arms, like, well, come on, come on and do this thing so we can have this self-consistency between your moment and this moment. And then once you go do it, those are connected. You're not changing anything. You're just interacting with that past. And it's easier to think about it too in the context of meeting yourself if you have a memory as a kid, say you're six years old and you have a memory of meeting your 30 year old self, you know for certain that when you get to be 30, you're going to go back in time and meet your six year old self. Those two moments in time are just connected in that way. Intrinsically, the universe is that way. And I drew heavily from the Igor Novikov principle, one of the leading archetypes of the block universe self-consistency. It's actually named after him because of that. And it's the best we can do now. And it does make a lot of sense. And it also gets around a lot of perceived paradoxes associated with backward time travel. Yeah, that's great. I, I, yeah, and I'd like to get that article as well. And I'll send it to Mick by email because uh, I certainly... Cool. Yeah, just remind me after the show or tomorrow morning. I will. I'll email you. I'll forward that. That's sure. awesome. Nathan, um, what do you want to read next? Well, I wanted to uh, I wanted to sort of follow up a little bit on what we were, you were talking about earlier and the sort of growing interest in the academic community but but also as it relates to i think traditional ways of of learning and and expanding academic knowledge so what are the 
what are the different qualities of research into the phenomena? Maybe it's an experiential quality that in some ways change the way research of it is being done. There seems to me to be a much greater participatory quality to the to the analysis than than I don't know, maybe a more of a cold, rational, you know, assimilating objective facts and trying to piece things together. The individuals themselves are really part and parcel of the phenomenon itself. And and so that came to mind as we were talking about your interactions with these other researchers, that they themselves have their own kinds of experiences with this. And so that becomes part of the study and it makes it a little bit different than the way we might have studied things in the past. How do you think about that? Yeah, no, that's great. That's a great question. Um, well, it's it's funny because I'm on both sides of that. I had never seen a UFO. I'd never had an experience that I thought of as an experience um, until 2022 when both happened. I saw five UFOs at the same time and then had a number of obscure experiences, but I didn't need that. I didn't have to have that in order to be able to take this seriously and consider other people's testimonies that did see UFOs or did get abducted or did have telepathic communications or remote viewing experiences or near-death experiences. I didn't have to be along with them as they crossed that threshold to the other side to know that they're telling the truth because there's so many people saying the same thing. And that's what it always was for me in this space is there's so many people saying the same thing, describing the same types of things. And then we can use an abductive approach to tease out the patterns and lace those together in this uh, tapestry of reality that exists somewhat circumstantially around our circumscribed reality. Sorry about all the circus in there. Um, <laughs> but but like Jeff Kripal, you know, you, you mentioned him earlier, uh, or you did DJ, I don't remember who, but um, yeah, like it's that he wrote a whole book about that called The Flip, an amazing book. And there is an audio book version of it too, because I know most people prefer those these days. But it's about how people start out as hard, cold, detached, reductionist, materialist, scientists, if we can't put a p-value to it piss off because we don't even want to discuss it. And then something happens, whether it's UFOs or near death or, a, you know, intense psychedelic trip, they flip and they're like, oh, wait, there's a deeper reality that maybe we should be paying attention to. And they do start paying attention to that and they become vocal about it. That I, I witnessed this firsthand just last week. Uh, one of our first friends where I live and, and work in Butte, Montana, we, we met them, I think, the first week we moved here back in 2009. And she they were parked on, on, um, on Park Street, the main street that goes up to campus. And she's in the, the car with her husband right after the big faculty meeting. And I walk by and she smacks him and says, go talk to that guy. You need to go talk to that guy. And he comes up like, hey, um, you know what's going on? We should be friends. Like, not as awkward as that, but pretty close to being awkward as that <laughs> if you knew him you would know just how awkward it was and and again one of my best friends of all time and has been so just recently she had a kundalini awakening an experience that took her out of her body for a brief period of time and they whatever they is took over her body and released all of these things and she, she's a physics professor. She had always been one of these strict materialist people 
And she's telling me all these things and what she thinks and knows and feels. And it's just like, wow. You know, to watch that happen in real time with someone you've known for close to 15 years, just, you know, and all her friends think she's crazy. All her, her relatives think she's crazy. And I'm like, yeah, no, that checks out. I know a lot of people said that same thing. And she just starts crying. Like, oh, my God, thank you so much. Like, I thought I was losing my mind. And everybody tells me I'm crazy. But it's it's real. You know, there's this reality that exists beyond us. And I, I almost feel bad for people who don't realize that you don't have to have your own experience, but just listen to other people's experience and open your mind enough because there's so much that comes flooding in. And it's it's amazing, you know, to see that. But I, I also understand the hang up because I was forced through that same sieve of hypothesis testing and, and the strict regimen of the scientific method but it doesn't it doesn't apply to this and it doesn't mean we have to give up on understanding this or studying it it just means we have to modify our understanding of science to include these things Mm -hmm. yeah well said it seems almost as if the 21st century there's an emergent quality to our understanding here that you're touching on that and and maybe we almost have these two paths before us uh, to acknowledge that that's very much a part of reality, and we need to incorporate it as you're, as you're saying into our yeah. study and pursuit. But at the same time, we're also being confronted in many ways with uh, you know even greater sort of technology that kind of forces us to be reduced and atomized, you know, even further than we are now, uh, you know, kind of objectified further than we are now. So almost the, these two sort of paths in front of us to to choose and. I don't know. It's a fraught time, it feels. Yeah, but don't you think that that's maybe a, a false dichotomy? Like, why does it have to be two paths? There could be all of these paths. Totally. And we can sort of amalgamate them. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd hope we do, right? I, I don't think we should uh, become... I'm not a proponent of being sort of a Luddite and just shunning all that and, and <laughs> turning our backs to technology. You I should think. coin that term, Nathan. A <laughs> uh, experiential Luddite. Where you just shut out everything that doesn't fit. I right. Like that. Yeah. I'll think about that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I totally agree. We have to take an integrative integrative approach to it. Um, yeah, and, for and sure. That's what I see happening, essentially, with phenomenological studies that we are, we're observing. There seems to be this growing acknowledgement that this is a real aspect of the world of reality. And yeah. we need to you know, treat it with slowly. It's so slow though. That's the part that I hate. Is it, it just feels when, when you, when you've been seeing all of these things and, and not, not seeing like even personally, but just like that, there's something else. UFOs, just take UFOs. People have been talking about this for potentially millennia, you Mm. know, and we might be moving towards something that really is transformational. And, and I hope it is, and I think it will be, but like when you already kind of see the process, the evolution, it does seem to be accelerating. At least it's, it's painfully slow. Don't, don't, don't you guys think, I don't know. Yes. but but I'm going to ask Deb specifically because she hasn't said much. (laughs) She's 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 next, but asshole Y chromosomes have been dominating (laughs) the conversation. (laughs) Get up in there. (laughs) Can I just comment that, you know, I've been doing a deep dive on, uh, chromosomes for instance and i will tell you that in most 
uh, living organism populations, it's matriarchal societies. Mm -hmm. Just want to throw that out there. Um, You're smarter than us. What are you going to do? <laughs> bonobos, bonobos and chimps are one of the best examples because bonobos yeah. are, are sex, love, rock and roll matriarchs. Chimps are the only other species other than us that have been observed going to war. Patriarchal. I feel like that's worth mentioning. You and I have a lot to talk about about that, but I, I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to do something that kind of laces things together. I like that phrase that was used earlier, but um, there was this story on uh, YouTube called The Egg, and it is about how everything in the past and the present and the future are all happening at the same time. And in fact, everyone is basically one conscious entity. I don't know if you're familiar with that story, but it kind of reminds me of indigenous Australian beliefs of dream time, which is hmm. everywhere, everyone, past, present, and future. So I was wondering when you when you think about this um, sense of future and time, if you ever have a cultural perspective to it. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I think that's so important that... Um, <clears throat> For my for my first book, I hired two research assistants to do a lot of um, a lot of digging with regard to mostly UFO stuff because it wasn't like I'd been following it since I was a child and always found it fascinating, but I hadn't really dived in at that point. Um, but also aspects of time travel, and then also parts of like different cultural perspectives of time, and then. I eventually cut them loose on the other two things. And I went deep into that because I found it fascinating, not just how many different cultures don't have a word for time, don't talk about it, don't conceptualize it linearly like we do. Um, but also just um, the, the way it can impact our lives. I, I cited a couple of studies where thinking about time can even impact your health and well-being. Um, I, I, I can't talk about that too much, but I, I was with, uh, the Navajo Ranger, John Dover recently, yes. and we were looking at, you know, things throughout Utah, petroglyphs, geoglyphs, not really geoglyphs, but cave paintings and things. And I was asking about this one, the spiral that you always see mm -hmm. for the equinox, you know, where it's, but it's within like not a cave, but it's just outside of this rock formation. And they drew a line on either side. And he was saying it's because in that area, in the Southwest, they see time almost like a record uh, where there's a needle and, and it moves, you know, across time, essentially. Like it's moving out slowly, but also up. So it's like records stacked on top of each other. And I remember reading almost that exact same description from a, a Westerner, perspective in Paul Davies book about time when I was in graduate school or an undergraduate, actually, it's that same sort of a way of conceptualizing it that we eventually got to, but they made this hundreds of years ago. So, so yeah, I think there's a lot of um, value in looking at how others have conceptualized time, space, consciousness, reality. Um, but, but yeah, it, there's even some that don't, think about it. they don't have a word for it they don't think it's even worth talking about because they I, I forget which culture it was um in my first book I, I referenced it specifically but they see themselves walking backward through time 
where they can see what happened in the past, but they don't know what's behind them. So they don't bother talking about it. There's no words for it because they're just slowly walking backward through time and, and watching what already took place, but experiencing things as it sort of comes from their periphery into their, their visual field. It's amazing. Our relationship to time is like you said, it's very frustrating. It feels like it's moving slowly and it's just us as humans, our relationship to time, you know, we're only here for a hundred years or less, you know, uh, and that's, you know, off average right there. And then we want it now. And it's just like, uh, they may not, you know, clearly the phenomenon is not on, probably not on our timetable as far as when it wants to disclose, you know, elements. But, want to. <laughs> but I remember when I first started this journey, which was only, I mean, I started it as a kid and then it sort of ramped up in 2012. I, just was compelled to start writing. Um, and I had one of my students who was already employed on a grant project. I rehired him after the grant ran out. And I said, hey, do you want to help me write a book about UFOs? And we brought another extremely intelligent person involved, and she contributed so much. Um, but it was like, why now? You know, why now? And it, and it seems to have played out in this way that, that made sense. Like there's something about understanding or, or it's like, it's like what just talk about Jeff Crape. I don't want to dominate the show, but it's definitely someone everybody should check out if they're not familiar with his work, Absolutely. but He'll he refers to these as liter literary angels, you know, where things just sort of fall into your lap from these various places. You don't know why. Uh, I heard Whitley Strieber talk about this with uh, Kelly Chase recently on her her podcast too, where it's like you don't even think of them as coincidences anymore. You kind of just open up and wait for them. And I've experienced this with all three books that I've written. It's just like the universe hands you this thing, you know. And and so how do you conceptualize time in that context? I I don't know. More questions and answers. It's interesting. Um, I was thinking about you in that book, uh, Way Above Black by Staff Sergeant Dan Sherman, uh, the former intuitive communicator. We've been talking about it a lot uh, in private, uh, the cabbies have. Um, and I'll, I'll share, if I hadn't shared it with you, I'll share the book and the interview with, with Dan. But what the stitch with you is, um, you know, he says that, his his mom was abducted uh the, the when when he was read into this program his mom was abducted in 1960 and, and then they, they, was he the one that they modified him in the womb is yes correct yeah 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 yes. no i'm and familiar I'm, with that we did we chatted about that last week i think right uh i didn't cuz i didn't speak to you unless we just chatted about it on uh did we send voicemails or was it just uh maybe we texted about it a little bit but the, the Maybe. reason I ask, yeah, but but fill everybody yeah. in if they're not familiar with that. So uh, the book is called Way Above Black. It's on Goodreads. Um, Staff Sergeant Dan Sherman was went to school for Elint with the Air Force, and while there, he said that he was brought into a room, uh, asked if he wanted to sign into a, a, a special access program, what they called a quote gray unquote program, and that is where he would. Uh, he agreed to do it. And then they started to tell him about his history and that he had been abducted. And essentially he was going to be an intuitive communicator uh, to, that would communicate with ETs. Uh, and what they said to him after he had made it through school 
Um, he was at a cover school while he was going to um, his actual job school that they really wanted him there for. Um, he was to type what they told him into a box and hit enter basically. And he didn't know what the letters and numbers meant until later. He sort of figured it out. There's also an interviewer, a brilliant interview. I was going to say your interview with Jesse was amazing. Uh, the young lady, while it was a truncated interview, wasn't that long. Uh, she did a brilliant job interviewing Dan Sherman as well. Um, do you think that you've, and after this, what I want to do, um, guys, is if we can get the listener questions and we'll ask Mike to do them in a rapid fire format because we don't have them for that much longer. Um, but I would like to ask, uh, do you think you may have experienced something similar uh, in your genealogy as Dan Sherman that enabled you to communicate with them without the training that you went through? I don't, I don't think so. And, <clears throat> and after these things, uh, happen more conspicuously. I, I told my mom and stepdad, she might be listening right now. She was asking me to send her the link to this. Hi, mom. Um, hey, mom. Great job with Mike, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I kind of hope she is now. She can get kicked out of that. Um, but no, I, I asked, you know, I was like, has anybody in our family seen a UFO? Like, my grandma had this amazing ability to go to church. And she didn't play the piano at all. Didn't know G from A from C. She'd come home and just start playing every song that they played in church that day. I'm like, where does that come from? Like, are you all hiding something? You know, which one of you is the abductee who got knocked wow. up by a gray alien here? Because that doesn't seem normal. No. Um, and then everybody accused me of getting her skills. I'm like, no, I worked my ass off to learn how to play music. And it was really hard and I hated it. Uh, so I, I, no, I don't think so. Cause I've asked that question. What we did learn in that process is my stepdad saw UFO once he's a farmer in, uh, in Ohio and he had kind of an interaction. Um, but it wasn't, you know, wasn't too overt. My biological father did too, before I was born, which kind of led out of this, but no, I've, I've looked down the genealogy. I've asked the people that I know that would know people, but also nobody talked about that stuff back then. You know, maybe, maybe my great grandma got knocked up in some sort of abduction situation, but I, I, I don't think that's necessary. I don't think it even has to be that way. Right. Like maybe the genetics are a precursor for some people, or maybe it is like very much so for a lot of people, but also uh, it, it seems to be related to one, one of the people that was involved in this, experience in, in phoenix on the balcony i've gotten to know him since jesse's doco came out the first time i was willing to talk about it getting over all of the the heebie-jeebies and the weirdness of it um but he's he's been working with researchers at high level institutions to try to understand this and has a huge network of people that he's both helping and both um being helped by to understand this because nobody has it all figured out. And we are asking as many questions as anybody else. But <laughs> for him, it was like, it was like he was turned on. He had a moment where a UFO pinned him down. That's where he was switched on. He also mentioned that for a lot of people, it's trauma. It's early childhood trauma, where it's, it's almost like an out-of-body experience, but through having to just deal with things that are hard for you. And I kind of wonder if that's what it was for me, where I started to really sort of tune in on a different frequency be just to deal with shit going on 
as a, as a kid, you know? So I don't, I don't think it has to be that. I don't think you have to have a genetic lineage. I don't think you have to be pinned down by a UFO. Maybe you don't even have to have trauma. I don't know. It, it seems like everybody could honestly tap into whatever this is. Is it related to UFOs as, you know, an object? My gut says yes, but I don't know. Maybe we're talking about two different things too. Maybe mm. they aren't even related. I, I have no idea. Many roads lean to Rome, right? Um, so let's let's hit up some of these in a in a uh, rapid fire format, so we could get through some. I got one from Dave Smethers. So I know Smethers will never let let it let me let it go, right, Nathan? If I don't ask yeah. his, uh, so let's get this one from Boo the Beagle and tell me if this is analogous. They're basically talking about whether the spirit knowledge is the uh, of past time, present, uh, present, and future is as valid as ET or future humans. I don't, I'm not sure I understand the question. Does anybody hear? I, I think I do. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, Boo. Um, but but I think it's what I was just saying. Like, what? Wh- how are these related? How are these experiences? Like, what happened to me in Phoenix where they gave me information? for the future, which clearly indicates they know the future. Is that related to UFOs? I I, I don't know. I, I feel like that's what the question was about. And I'm sorry if yeah. I was wrong about that, but it's rapid fire. I think fire, you're right. So. But, but you get the, the answer that we don't know is just, it's the most valid answer to so many of these questions. What we know is so little compared to what we don't right. know, but it's so much fun to talk about. It um, is. And I try to differentiate between speculation and I am drawing from a base of knowledge about, but this one, I don't know. I'm still trying to wrap my head around that too. Let me see if I can get, understand this from, um, see if I can understand this question from Dave, basically, um, if what he's saying is if the, if Dr. Master says the future cannot be changed, why are humans acting in ways that suggest they are trying to change it. For me, yeah, this is the weakest part of the otherwise compelling theory. Well, it's not a weak part of the theory. It's a weak part of our understanding of time and of this reality, which, okay. of course, by default, does trickle into this theory. So I, I agree with that assessment. And honestly, I've had this conversation with my wife for the last like 15, since I met her. You know, since we first started talking about this, honestly, because it's like she pointed that out early on. And and like if everything's already in existence in the block universe, why try? And so I took that to heart. And in my second book, The Extra Tempestro Model, in the end, I go into this conversation and bring in elements of that conversation I've had with her over the last 15 years and put it in the con- context of the, the sort of cataclysm thing that a lot of people think is coming and that's become the main thing that every experiencer mm-hmm. has has experienced. Um, <clears throat> so why? why? Why even show up if it's already predetermined versus how are there ways to maybe tweak it? And that's what she always argued is that maybe the block universe isn't just a static block, but it's somewhat malleable in individual moments that can move it in a place that still all those moments are connected, but it's not exactly one concrete thing. And, and at first I was like, I don't know, I'll have to think about that. And lately I've been like, she's probably right. Cause women usually are in relationships. 
money needs Please to... tell her I said that, by the way. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Your wife's a smart lady. <laughs> she is the... All right, here's the question from Anonymous Rex. Uh, could we please ask Dr. Masters his thoughts on portals existing? It's a big one. Quick hitters, Mike. It is, yeah. I don't know. Um, portals, in, in what sense, I guess, would be my follow-up, but this format doesn't necessarily... It's not conducive to follow-ups, but um, I don't know if we need them. I don't think we need, like, a wormhole sort of situation to travel through time. I think space-time has the holes available or we can make them wherever we want. But if we're talking about the lexicon, then yes, that would technically become a portal if you're moving in and out of something in different moments of space time. So yeah, I don't think they need to exist in the way that we conceptualize them with wormholes, but I think we could call them that. And Debs, my friend, from Carolina, it is, I'd love to understand more about the telepathic communication, but most importantly, thanks for sharing and for being open with us. Thank you, Carolina. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. It was hard. Uh, it was a whole year between when it happened, almost exactly one year. And uh, I, I kind of had a breakdown. I was sitting out on my back deck and I just I was, you know, absorbing the sunshine and I was like, can I talk about this? And it's really, and honestly, it's not that big of a deal compared to the things that people experience all the time in this arena. It's like, wow. Yeah. Okay. So some humans were there and you're talking to something. And so, yeah, I eventually realized that, uh, <laughs> or we have to, we all have to, I dedicated my second book to the people that are brave enough to talk about these things. And, and so within a short period of time, I talked about it with Jesse Michaels, who I knew and trusted. And I told him about it because I was already in LA hanging out with him in December, just a couple months after this happened. And my mind was still all shaken up. So I'm just spewing out, you know, like what happened? He's just looking at me and his cameraman's looking at me. And, like, what? and then I had a feeling he would want to talk about it when I went back down in October. And so the day before that, I kind of had this breakdown, like, can I? And they said, please talk about it. I was like tasked with this in some capacity. And between that and like knowing he's a good resource and a trustworthy person, I was like, you know, let's do this thing. And then uh, publicly, I spoke about it for the first time in New York City at that amazing experiencer conference they put on there. And then the very next day went on, uh, with George Knapp, coast to coast, between 1 and 5 a.m., which is very difficult, wow. I'd like to point wow. out, to talk about anything between 1 and 5 a.m., but George wow. asked me to have the whole four hours with him to talk about the theory, and then the last two hours were to talk about this. And it's like, it's it's important that we all do, you know, and, and I guess my my rally cry here is, is let's all just talk about it. it. It doesn't, we don't have the same stigma we used to. We don't have to be put into these little boxes. We, we should all be talking about everything, even if it doesn't seem that important, but it's anomalous. The more we do that, the more we learn and can grow and can continue to build these networks of other people who've had these same experiences. Like, like we were talking about just a bit ago, uh, when when Nathan and I were chatting about Darren, like if it wasn't for him talking about it on his podcast, would I have ever even come to grips with it? You know, and 
be able to talk about it. So I think it's it's sort of the it's like microevolution where it's it's cells evolving slowly, but then you project that forward in a macroevolutionary context where species giving rise to species, and that's how we get there. I think that's how we get there is by just having these conversations over time, and then eventually we can all wrap our heads around whatever the fuck this is. Yeah. I mean, that gets me thinking about something I wrote down that I wanted to talk to you about, but that's, we've heard the theory of panspermia, which is just that, you know, the earth may have been seeded with life from somewhere else through a meteor or something like that. But it, it takes me to places where what if it's not just, you know, seeded from a, you know, chemicals or biological organisms, but there's also a, a seeding of, of sort of our conscious development of the development of, you know, our, our species in that dimension of, of experience. And it's, it seems to be that that is partly the case. We've been talking about a lot of aspects of that during the, the show. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great observation. And, and maybe the two go together. Maybe that's why we're seeing so much happening now as we finally, finally reached the point biologically where we have a brain that's capable of being a big enough antenna to tap into those sort of consciousness aspects of what is maybe even fundamental to our biological being. I I was talking with someone this morning, and it was some sort of like, I think I used the word non-dual transmutation, where it almost seems like the two are coming together, where we've evolved as biological beings. Obviously, our intellect has evolved as well, but what if those are going to mash up in some way in the near term and maybe that's related to disclosure maybe it's related to ai and where we're getting with that so quickly where we take our non-dual understanding of the universe a super evolved consciousness and then just integrate it in in what may be a very quick and shocking fashion for people with this sort of slow process of evolution where beyond that beyond the sort of singularity that exists and those two you know, particles colliding to use the the hadron collider metaphor. <laughs> what if beyond that we we just are? We are the thing we always were, the conscious thing that maybe spurred this biological existence that isn't real. It's not the main thing, but it's clearly tied to that or it's rooted in that, or that's the origin source in some way. And we're moving toward a place where those become this sort of non-dual transmutational existence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If that made any sense whatsoever. No, it's like a process of maturation. Sorry if it didn't. You know? So if you have children, like I mean, I'm thinking of it from that yeah. perspective, you know, that they're they're slowly learning about the world around them. You're trying to give them experiences that are analogous to real world experiences, but they have to grow and eventually they hopefully grow to the point where they can experience the world as it really is, or yeah. close to that. I, I I'm yeah, you're not really gonna teach right quantum now. mechanics to a three year old. Because they're not capable of understanding it. But as they grow and develop, when do you start teaching quantum mechanics to a child? You might try in high school. If they're really precocial, sure, go on. They, they go to Harvard, you know, as a 12-year-old. But it takes having that, it, it, that baseline understanding or, or physical ability. And I think it does come down to what is this and that? What is this physical or what is that? Because I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that metaphor. I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I am feeling better about this because my high school friends have told me I haven't matured intellectually since high school. But now I feel <laughs> like there's hope. So this is great. Man. 
Um, <laughs> time. Yeah. Where where there's a will, there's a way. I guess. See. Yeah, I mean, for I have me, a beard for like me, Dr. it was Matthews. just. Uh, Let me. Uh, I I have two things I want to say. Uh, Mike, one of them is you made do reference you, to Jesse Michaels. Do you, DJ? I do. I mean, you just the light isn't really here, but I feel like my beard is on. Oh, there it is. There it is. I see it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay. yeah. There's a couple sprouts yeah. there. Um, <laughs> um, so with Jesse Michaels, um, unbelievable interviewer. We're big fans of his. And so if 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 you ever get in contact with him and he'd like to join us in, on cabinet discussion, it would be an honor to have him. Uh, he's a brilliant interviewer. Um, so secondly, yeah, great. Uh, Dr. Jeff is coming on for a second uh, show. And if you want to come on for that oh, one, nice. it'd be so cool to, to hear you guys uh, talk. We had, he, we had I would just get in his way. Time. I would get in his way. Like, like I'm here, I'm here. And Jeff's like, uh, I can't even reach that high. Like it's not at all. It, the audience the, uh, wins because they hear less of me. So that would be good. So it'd be a good time. <laughs> right. You can get him talking. You can get him talking. He's got a lot to say. I like that guy a lot. All right, Debs, go ahead, homegirl. Yeah, so I'm really excited to bring up something I've mentioned to you, I think, in a space some time ago. Um, anthrobots and xenobots and the things that we are now creating, including, you know, obviously we're now trying to integrate AI into our bodies with things like Neuralink and stuff. How do you think that's going to impact um, the typical human evolution and how will that impact um, maybe even your theory? Yeah, that's a great question. And I appreciate you asking me that for the last eight years. And I apologize that I haven't been able to look into it. Uh, and I finally did. I did look into it. And I, I don't, I, it's really interesting. And I don't know because it does almost seem like we're we're sort of approaching a place where it's gonna be both and we maybe don't have the opportunity to turn back from that like with the nanobots and and even what what elon musk is trying to do with um with Neuralink and everything like once we really start i think i think we've already reached a point where it's it's beyond us. It's taken on a life of its own. Does that mean it's going to run away on its own and, and kill us all and enslave us and become, I don't think so, but, but we won't be able to resist having a level up where we have to just not wait for the slow process of biological evolution. And it, and it may coalesce with uh, gene modification and CRISPR technology. Maybe they all, sort of become one thing where it's all of them just making us faster, better. People used to ask me, how long do you think it would be before we become the greys? And I always thought about it in a very limited capacity. I'll call Michael, past Michael out on that because I used to just think about his biological evolution, disregarding things like nanobots, uh, disregarding things like CRISPR technology. If this does happen, where we get to the point where it's socially acceptable and it's ethical, and it's done right. And that may be a place where if this happens in the future, they're coming back. They might be like, hey, we need to make sure this happens right. Because you're talking about us. This is 
our future. This is your future. It's our past. Um, I, th I think the future of humanity is wide open. It can be whatever we want it to be. We can shape it. We can shape all moments in between then too. And, and that might be where they're, if they are future humans in these UFOs, it might be where they're doing it in a functional capacity, not just with a sperm and egg, which is so ubiquitous throughout these cases, but with like cultural seeding, with like giving these technologies, with these crashes or these gifts that are giving to us, figure this out because you're going to need this soon. And we're going to meet at this point in the future where everything just goes gangbusters. Um, so yeah, I, I really do think that's an important aspect of this. It, it might be a big part of why we're seeing them more now. It might be a big part of why this, this disclosure movement is happening as quickly as it is as well. Yeah, I just want to point out to anyone listening that this technology is over a decade old. And people were, scientists were meeting and talking about making human beings over 10 years ago. So I, I think that's very linked to this future human hypothesis. Yeah, yeah, do, do you I think do that uh, male pattern baldness could be eradicated? Ask you me know, for a friend. Ask honestly, friend. I think yes. Like we've we've got the genome <laughs> mapped out, right? So that they're still uh, uncovering more things about genes, but I, they're doing it at a rapid pace. They're probably going to start using AI to help them figure <clears> some of these things out. So all of these things are possible. And we really have all of this within our reach. Thank you, Deb. I will sleep yeah, easier tonight. Absolutely. You know, there's a lot of other things that, that can kill us, that we could treat congenital diseases through genetic manipulation. And um, I don't feel like male pattern baldness will be one of those, honestly. Uh, and the fact you, you should rest assured knowing that most of the grays are described as hairless beings. You're the you're the future of evolution, my friend. How many wisdom teeth do you have? How many wisdom teeth do you have? Because there's also 11 percent of the population that just doesn't have their third molar. I will I will count them tomorrow and and, and let you know. I don't know. You've never <laughs> counted your molars. I'm just saying if you had both. You might be like the sperm donor of the future if you're bold and don't have your third molar coming in because that's like that's here. like next level future human shit right there, man. Nathan, tell I'm just saying, you know, don't, it, don't count it up. The grays are bald. You should embrace that. That's why tell Darren at our next pizza meet, meetup, Nathan, I'm going to be hell on wheels, man. I'm going to bring some basal ganglia and an enlarged cut potato with me. So anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, dude, so would it be if you had like if you had third molars growing out of your basal ganglia? <laughs> like they didn't come through your mouth; they're just like in the back of your head. You're like what? But you know everything. This is awesome. The only thing Mike can do to top all this is to bring one of his musical instruments because Doctor Simeon Hine did play guitar for us on air. So it would be great to have Mike play oh, nice. one of the instruments. I've plays. got my guitar and mandolin sitting behind me, but oh, I um, we're, we are so game. I'll for probably you get play. I'll get so in trouble. Okay, I'll I'll get in trouble if I don't go down and eat soon. All right, we'll next let you, time we'll let's let you... let's factor that into the. Okay, we'll, we'll let you get out of here. I have one final question. Uh, from basically it was from the uh, a show you did the other day, and it was a quote. I think uh, I th maybe I'm paraphrasing, but I think the quote was something like we are 
the quote was something like, there is, we are the only bipedal mammal on the planet. I repeat, we are the only bipedal mammal on the planet. Habitually bipedal. Okay. Okay. Because I thought an important we, we may have left out Sasquatch or Bigfoot. So. Oh, damn it. You're right. I did. My because bad. I, I, I Googled the directions between your institution and 250 miles to the south, Dr. Jeff Meldrum uh, at <laughs> yeah. Idaho State, yeah. who can uh, host you with uh, sure. his laboratory. With no, you're right. He's got some prints. He's got yes. some, uh, yeah. No, you're right. I, I would like to retrospectively apologize for that massive blunder in stating that we're the only habitually bipedal mammal because Sasquatch definitely bipedal. Um, however, I would like to point out that they don't exist. So I'm still right. Oh, so we do have to, so we'll have to arrange that. Just putting that out you. there. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure I had a lot of trolls after this conversation. <laughs> and I felt like the best way to do that is by saying free will doesn't exist. Right. Nor does Sasquatch. So, <laughs> love it. bring it on! Come on, trolls! Bring it! All right, we gonna have some fun after this I, one. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, let's go with Cabby goodbye, so we can get Mike to um, uh, a hot dinner. Damn. It's a salad, so it I get to go first. Okay, I was just thinking that trolls have ancestrally been squashed. By the way, um, <laughs> thank you for coming and talking um, to us. I have. A lot of things I'd like to talk to you about, um, including what telepathy may be. So I really appreciate you coming and having these conversations and being open with us about all of this, because it's just so much fun to have intellectual conversations. We appreciate it so much. Thank you so much. Thank you, Deb. I appreciate you as well. And it was great chatting with you. Yeah, Mike, it's been a real pleasure. I hope we get a chance to chat in person sometime. Uh, however we can arrange that would be really great. Um, you're just a really bl a blessing to the community, and we're honored to have you with us. So looking forward to the next chat. Well, Thanks, Nathan. And I, I feel the same. Let's definitely make that happen sometime. Awesome. That would be awesome, Mike. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us again. I can already see a part three because I know that every cabbie has questions left on their sheet that they made up for you. <laughs> so we'd love to have you back for part three. Yeah. Just so much fun. Um, That'd be great, man. And, you know, honestly, I've, I've got just as many questions as they do. I uh, have no idea what's going on. So I appreciate us all having this conversation and trying to figure it out together. <laughs> I hope we get to meet you. Come out to North Carolina because now I live close enough to Darren and Nathan that we can all meet up for a pizza like we uh, met up with these guys. Oh, nice. Time, so, so, yeah. Let's do so it. Thank you. Let's do it. Looking forward <laughs> yeah, to that. I am so down. So on behalf of uh, Dr. Masters and Debs and Nathan and Julie in the chat and everybody, thank you for joining us to come see and I uh, have some questions for Dr. Masters. So this DJ saying peace out, one love. We'll see you down the road. And as always, we're wondering what's up around the bend. <laughs>